0: Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on
1: Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset.
0: When a disease is this contagious, even cautious medical professionals are at serious risk. The virus spreads through contact with bodily fluids and is fatal in up to 90% of cases.
1: That was from a 2014 BBC report on the Ebola outbreak in West Africa. It killed over 11,000 people. At the time, Gail Smith headed the U.S. Agency for International Development, or USAID. Today, Smith is president and CEO of the One Campaign. It was co-founded by U2 singer Bono. The NGO's stated mission is to end extreme poverty and preventable disease by 2030. Gail Smith joins us now to discuss how the lessons learned from the Ebola outbreak can help us in the fight against COVID-19. Gail, welcome to Reset.
0: Thanks so much for having me.
1: So first, detail the origins and history of that Ebola outbreak.
0: Well, I was actually in the White House at the time, and we got word through uh, CDC and USAID that there were cases of Ebola uh, emerging in West Africa in what was then an outbreak. We also had some very effective NGOs on the ground that brought a lot of it to the world's attention. And what we saw was that what started as an outbreak quickly escalated into an epidemic because the virus was highly contagious. Uh, We didn't have all the systems. These are three countries in West Africa that were hit had it just emerged from war. Um, So it spread very quickly, including when it went to urban centers. Then we had an epidemic on our hands and mounted a massive campaign and effort to get it under control that was importantly inclusive of hundreds and hundreds of African healthcare workers and others and the entire international community.
1: What is it like to work at the White House when a global health crisis is happening, or or when you're forced into the center of it all, helping to lead the emergency response?
0: The advantage we have, and certainly had then, is that we've got agencies across the federal government filled with people who know a lot uh, about these crises and about how to respond. So we were able to rely on, obviously, CDC, Uh, the Department of Health and Human Services on USAID, and on a host of experts across the government who knew both how you undertake emergency operations, but also how you do it when you're dealing with a lethal and highly contagious virus.
1: So we're here in 2020. Uh, We are in the midst of a pandemic now. And and I want to get your thoughts about the similarities you see between the Ebola outbreak in 2014, and what we're seeing now with COVID-19.
0: Well, I I think there are a few differences. Obviously, COVID-19 and the coronavirus have moved around the world, and we can literally watch its progression uh, from Asia through Europe now through North America, parts of Latin America, and coming soon, I think we're afraid, in significant numbers and scope in Africa. So it's it's geographically a much more far-reaching and therefore much more difficult problem. I think the ingredients of how we respond, however, are pretty much the same. We need to be led by science and facts, and that's actually an advantage. We've got epidemiologists working across borders all over the world that are We need to think of them as our disease detectives. They can tell us what's going on, help inform what we need to do next. So you need that. You need a supply chain that can help make sure that health workers and frontline responders have everything they need to move quickly. In West Africa, we actually did build a supply chain to provide PPE, which is now a term for protective gear that's well known. I'm afraid we don't have that supply chain fully up and operating in many countries or globally at this point. The third thing you really need is community participation and I think we're seeing extraordinary things on that front with people standing up and following the guidance. And last we need leadership and leadership which tells people the truth, exudes some confidence and again makes decisions based on the science and the facts. And those s- things pertain to any of these kinds of
1: crises. What were some of the major lessons you learned from the Ebola response? Mm-hmm.
0: The thing I keep thinking about and thought every day then is that if the virus is moving faster than we are, then it's winning. And we don't want to do anything that's a win for the virus, right? Everything we do, everything we say, every policy we sh- we consider should be with an eye towards how can we defeat the virus. So I think that's number one. The second is that it really takes everybody, globally, everybody at the national level in our own country, from the federal level to the states to local levels. And the the fact is that we can't solve it in one place if we don't solve it every place. And we've seen this. This virus moves around like crazy. So I think another lesson, and again, we learned it in West Africa because part of our aim was to prevent its spread out of those three countries to others. And we did have some cases outside those borders, but they were very, very quickly contained. We've got to work globally, I think, is the other key lesson. And I know it's hard because every country is focused on what's going on in that country now, but we're going to need a global strategy to defeat a global pandemic.
1: When you look at the response to COVID-19 uh, at the federal level, how individual states are responding. How well are those lessons being heeded?
0: Well, I think we're seeing some very positive things. I think the, the lessons about communities being involved, uh, I think a lot of governors are stepping up in important ways. I don't think we yet have a national strategy that takes into account that governors and local officials have a lot of authorities and need to use them to govern those areas that they're elected to govern. But we've got to knit it all together because, again, the virus doesn't pay attention to borders. Uh, The supply chain needs to be managed with some regular order so that we can deploy resources where they're needed, but also track the epidemiology, track the viruses. we're doing that. So I think those things aren't quite knit together yet, and it's my fervent hope that they will be very quickly.
1: Having been so deeply involved with the Ebola outbreak, what is it like to now be on the outside of this pandemic looking in? Does that distance give you any new perspectives?
0: Well, it it gives me new perspective, but I will tell you it also, I'm kind of chomping at the bit sometimes. Mm -hmm. I think working on the Ebola response was an extraordinary experience, and I was able to do it with a team of extraordinary people. And it was hard, and it was difficult, and it was exhausting. But we were in a fight to win it and we were in it together. And that that mobilizes in a way few things do. Being on the outside, what I'm trying to do and what we're trying to do with the one campaign is to fight the virus and fight for humanity. I mean we need to get out there and make the case that all of us, and we're seeing so much of this, need to support our communities, but we've also got to think globally and make sure that those parts of the world that are the most vulnerable to these kinds of external shocks are part of our global solution. So that's what I'm trying to do. Take any lesson I've learned, inject it into the mix where it can be helpful, but to try to do my part as a citizen, as an activist, to knit this together so that ultimately we've got a global response to what's a global pandemic.
1: Well, speaking of lessons learned, I should mention you also served on the National Security Council, and we learned the Trump administration dismantled the NSC team charged with pandemic Mm -hmm. preparation. We, We also learned from reports that the Trump team ignored the NSC's pandemic playbook. And that document provided some step-by-step priorities and protocols. Right. What are some of your thoughts on on the decision to dismantle a, a team that was actually designed to deal with just precisely this event?
0: I can't speak to why they made that decision. I think it's unfortunate, and I hope that one of the outcomes of this will be that both that sort of playbook and a crack team like that will be rebuilt. Both of those things were the product of a lot of experience of literally hundreds of people from hundreds of angles on this. Because again, in a response like this, you need all sorts of experts to come together. And when we created that office, uh, part of it was because the big fundamental lesson that we learned, not just from Ebola, but there was also Zika, there was MERS, there was H1N1 is that these kinds of global health threats are going to continue throughout the future, and the US government needs to be ready to go and prepared to turn on a dime. And that doesn't matter whether it's a Democratic administration or a Republican administration. As a government, as a nation, we need to be ready. So I hope that those things will be restored because the intent there was just to ensure that all future administrations would be ready and could build on what we learned.
1: You know, when I take a step back and look at the global response mm-hmm. to COVID nineteen, it it occurs to me so many epidemiologists and public health officials that I've spoken to over the years have said it's not an if; it's a when. Right, we face a global pandemic, and yet so many nations are caught scrambling to respond to this event there seems to be a, a lack of global cooperation to address it. Mm-hmm. Do you have any insight in, into what the barrier is in, in thinking that? Well, no, you've,
0: you've hit something right on the head. Is this lack of global cooperation. And I think one of the things we've seen over the last few years is the notion of global cooperation of multilateralism, the UN, all of these things, uh, either being sort of under assault or ignored. And we've seen a lot of countries focused uh, rightly on their own interests, but wrongly exclusively on their own interests, because we all exist in this world. And so I think one of the things that has brought us to where we are now is that we have not been exercising the muscles of those institutions for some years now, and we need to do that very quickly. And I think that's a very, very big part of it. The second thing, and this is, you know, this is something I think we all feel as individuals and all feel as citizens of particular countries. Everybody in the world is facing this emergency right at home. So it's hard sometimes to say, well, let me pause and look outside my borders and see what's going on elsewhere. I strongly believe we should do that as a matter of solidarity and principle, but we also need to do it as a matter of science and fact. Because again, If we resolve this in the United States or if other countries do and it's not resolved elsewhere, we're not done. But I think you're a thousand percent right that the global cooperation is just not where it needs to be.
1: Gail, you spent many years in Africa as a journalist before Mm -hmm. you began working in, in advocacy and journalism. And one of the crises for reporters has been getting accurate, timely information about what's happening on the ground. We've seen reporters expelled from China. What concerns do you have about some of the obstacles the press is facing when it comes to informing the public?
0: Well, I think there's some real challenges there. And and one of the key ingredients of a successful response is that you and the media have access and information and can be part of sharing factual information with citizens all over the world. Uh, People urgently need that. They need to know what the facts are. And it's also, it's reassuring to be hearing that Sometimes people are not getting it from their governments, and so they're extra reliant upon the media. And quite frankly, it's also comforting oftentimes because you're also the ones that can tell stories about the acts of heroism that we so often see in these cases. I think it's a real problem. I think part of any global strategy needs to include that the world's media needs unfettered access to information and analysis so that you can help tell the story because people... People really need you right now. And by the way, we're all very grateful that you're up and running from your basements and your living rooms to keep the news on.
1: We appreciate that on behalf of my colleagues. (laughs) I'll I'll say that. Um, You know, so far we've seen the virus attack mostly countries that have fairly advanced health systems, but we're now seeing the virus spread to countries with weaker health systems, including sub-Saharan Africa, where your organization, the One Campaign, focuses Are there policies in place right now in in the developed world that might help these nations mitigate the damage of of COVID-19?
0: There are, um, but many of them are not as strong as they need to be. And I think the way to think about this is we see in our own communities and in our own country, it is the most vulnerable people in any community or country that are the hardest hit by this virus, and that's true globally. So low-income countries the African continent are going to be hit very, very, very hard. Now, there are a couple of things on the upside. One is that Africa has, over the last 20 years, recorded, most countries have recorded terrific gains in global health generally that's been manifest in three ways. Better results, uh, better systems, but also political leaders who pay attention to health. So they've got that. There is now an African Center for Disease Control, that was established in 2016, up and running in 2017, didn't exist when we had Ebola. And there's the experience of the Ebola epidemic. Now, none of those are enough to withstand the kind of impact we're likely to see if we base it on what we've seen elsewhere. So I think even while there are strong foundations to build on, this is going to have a huge impact, and particularly on the poorest people in countries.
1: What steps do you think we should take to prepare for the next pandemic? What lessons should we take away from from this pandemic, even though we're still in the middle of it? What are the things right. we should be learning?
0: It's a great question, because we've got to be able to walk and chew gum at the same time. One of the things that came out of the Ebola epidemic and the lessons learned was our launching something called the Global Health Security Agenda, which still exists. And the basic premise If you imagine a global pandemic, we need a net around the globe. And if it's got holes in it, we're facing big problems. So how do you fill those holes? By building the capacity of countries everywhere to prevent, detect, and respond to global health threats. We were able to respond to the Ebola epidemic in Liberia, for example, at the same time as we were building the capacity for laboratory testing, because we needed it for the emergency, but they needed it for the long term. So we're going to need to be making investments now, even as we fight the virus in real time, investing in that thing called global health security. The good part of this story is it's a lot cheaper than being unprepared for future epidemics or pandemics. Uh, so it's something you're, you're absolutely right to ask. It's an investment we need to be making now. And we have done the analysis. We That's a bit. Uh, expanded for me to say. Experts have done the analysis on what exactly is needed in over 100 countries to fill those gaps. So it's a knowable thing to know what gaps we need to fill.
1: Well, the One Campaign is preparing to launch a global health-focused campaign to fight this current pandemic and future ones. Can you tell us more about it and how people can get involved if they're interested?
0: Yeah, we're going to go live uh, later this week. And we want to focus on a couple things. The first is standing in solidarity with our communities. That's every one of us. That's me in Washington. That's you in Chicago. That's people wherever they may live around the world. Uh, But the second part is we are advocates, and that's what we do. We mobilize and organize people to try to shape and influence decision makers so we get the good decisions we need. We're going to be focused on the emergency response and its effect on people, particularly in Africa, on the economic impact and what needs to happen to blunt that. And last to focus on the item that we just talked about, global health security. Uh, So join us. We are at one.org and we'll go live later in the week. And we'd love to have you because we all got to fight and win this together.
1: That's Gail Smith. She's president and CEO of the One Campaign. She also served as the head of USAID and was a member of the National Security Council. She joined us to discuss the lessons learned from helping the Obama administration deal with the 2014 Ebola outbreak and how those lessons can help fight the COVID-19 pandemic. Gail, thanks so much for speaking with us. We appreciate it.
0: Thank you so much.
1: And that's today's Reset. For up-to-the-minute news you can trust about the COVID-19 outbreak, tune to 915 WBEZ in Chicago, stream us at wbez.org, or go to wbez.org slash coronavirus. I'm Jen White. Stay healthy, stay inside if you can, and let's talk again soon.